Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Thank you for listening to today's Hope Along the Journey podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Cravens, your podcast host, and it's a joy to share with you these next few minutes. We've got a wonderful guest here today by way of Zoom all the way up in Michigan is none other than Emily Jones. Hi, Emily, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, I, I every, every time I, I see you on social media or I see you today, I, I think of you back there in the classroom when you had to endure my teaching at God's Bible School and College. <laughs> and I'm just amazed at, at, at the woman you become and the opportunities God has opened for you. I just, mm-hmm. every time I see you, it just thrills my heart. And it, I'm delighted to been, have you. Thank you. It's been a journey. It's exciting to look back at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you all a little bit about who Emily is. She is a trauma therapist, and she works for the Center for Healing Torture Trauma. She has a master's degree in social work from Ferris State University, and she has done some incredible things throughout her short life. She's still rather young, but man, has she already packed a lot in there. She has a, I know she's very passionate about human trafficking and has been involved with that. But here recently, Emily, you really you really had something very special. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like for you to tell my audience, outside of all this professional mumble jumble, just who is Emily Jones? Well, you know, I've thought about that over the last couple of years because God has opened some amazing doors. And I am... <laughs> just nobody that grew up in the middle of the country in Michigan. Um, God's uh, really just opened some incredible doors for me as I've um, grown. But right now I'm a wife and mother. I've got two little kids at home, um, little tiny. They're one and three. Um, My husband um, is a wonderful support for all the work that I do. We have a little hobby farm. Um, We love to hike together go on adventures like that when our when we're not when I'm not off across the world we like to do hiking in <laughs> national parks etc so yeah, oh that's neat and what life. yeah they're in Michigan beautiful part of the state where you live there mm-hmm. so that's neat well I want us to talk a little bit today about this incredible trip you recently took you were an outside consultant for an organization called Samaritan's Purse. And I think a lot of people are are familiar with that great organization, and mm-hmm. uh, especially a lot of people are familiar with Operation Shoebox, the Shoebox ministry they do mm-hmm. for Christmas. But they do so much more than that. And you served mm-hmm. as an outside consultant, and you traveled to the country of Iraq. Mm-hmm. You spent about a month there. So tell us a little bit about what you did and and what what this was all about and just what your role was with Samaritan's Mm -hmm. Purse. 
Yeah, so I actually spent two months prior to the month of May um, working remotely as a consultant for, for Samaritan's Purse, who I might um, accidentally call SP, because that's what I say when I get comfortable. Okay. Um, SP, Samaritan's Purse. I spent two months, uh, February, um, March, and then went in April to Iraq. And my goal during that three months was mental health program development. So they have been looking at mental health program development, but they do not have a specialized uh, sector um, within their organization to, to, develop, to develop that, to grow that. Um, so that is where I came in to mm -hmm. kind of help with that specific piece. Um, and it's growing and it's exciting to see where that might go in the, in the near future for Samaritan's Purse. That's great. How did you get connected with them? How, how in the world did you ever make that connection? <laughs> um, well, you know, yeah, several years ago, it must have been 2017, um, I was working as a ER-based social worker, and I had some downtime during one of my shifts, and I was looking at, I was thinking about Samaritan's Purse and World Vision and some of these organizations doing things that I was so passionate about. And I loved my job in the ER, but um, I still had those passions mm -hmm. for these uh, this other type of work. And so I was just browsing their website and saw a picture of a helicopter on top of a mountain. I don't know where it was. And it was the DART team, which the DART team is their disaster assistance response team okay. um, that I now know. I didn't know that then. Um, but I ended up looking on their job postings and they had a posting for the DART team which meant you would get on this roster if you were hired and then deploy out short term if and when there were disasters around the world. So I thought, oh, I can do this on top of my ER work. <laughs> so I applied and at that time they were actually in Iraq serving during the war. Um, so they were caring for ISIS soldiers coming mm -hmm. through. They were caring for just general people within the community. Um, so they didn't get back to me for almost a year and almost a year later, I kept emailing and saying, is there any update? Almost a year later, they said, we're sorry, we've been in Iraq. We can do an interview now. I interviewed, um, uh, God's grace. I got hired. I don't know how that happened. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's where it all began really. Emily, that is, that is an incredible story. It, and, and again, you know, probably it's like a dream come true for you, wasn't it? To be able mm -hmm. to actually link with them. And did you get to fly in that helicopter, by the way? You that, know, I've flown in a couple with them, but I don't know if it was the same one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wonder, is the same helicopter you saw on the top of that mountain? You know, it, it could have been because I, I know they have wow. a couple, but I don't think they have a huge fleet. Uh, so and that that alone has been a surreal experience. Um, just as a side note, flying in a helicopter across the ocean with with SP has been um, across just really the, special. Wait a minute, you went across the ocean, not in a plane, well, but a helicopter. Well, we didn't cross the ocean in the helicopter. However, I worked in the Bahamas um, when the hurricane went through there in two thousand. Oh, in two thousand nineteen. Okay. Um, so I was actually stationed on. Trying to think here. I was stationed 
I think on Grand Bahama. Mm -hmm. um, but we had we had teams on several different locations, different islands. Mm -hmm. um, and I landed and was on one island for a short period of time. And then they flew us by helicopter across the ocean to that second um, island where I would be okay. working. And that specific um, trip has stuck out in my mind flying wow. across the ocean, the Bahama water, because um, you're low enough to see the the green and yes. blues. And wow, yeah, it is amazing. But we're going to get it. We're believe it or not, we are going to get to Iraq here in just a moment. But there's, you know, Emily, I just have to say this because I want to stop and say something here. You know, this has been a passion of yours from back. I mean, I knew you at college, but maybe even goes back before then. But, you know, you're one of those people that hasn't just let your passion set on a back burner. I mean, you really have taken initiative to reach out and, and, and to actually pursue your dreams. And I applaud you for that because you meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of people who just set on a whole box of wishes and wishes never get you anywhere, you know, yeah. and it's amazing. Yeah, and you know what? There have been times where I've felt very crazy for doing what I do. <laughs> um, and going to Iraq was nothing different. Um, yeah. So I understand how easy it would be to let life take over and not pursue those dreams. Yeah. Um, I'm incredibly thankful that God's opened doors and that he's, I believe, guided me in those directions, mm -hmm. even when I may, have <laughs> yeah. I may have been putting on the brakes thinking this is insane. I can't do this. Um, but he's guided me in those places. And my husband has been incredibly supportive, yes. my parents and my in-laws. Um, so he, yeah. he's made it happen. Yes. And speaking of danger and risk, man, when I heard you were going to Iraq, I'm like, what, <laughs> what in the world is she doing? So here we go. <laughs> so to Iraq, you went and you went into this war-torn country. Tell us a little bit about what you did while you were there, or maybe even, maybe let's back up. What was your first impression when you landed there and it became reality? What were you feeling and experiencing when you got there? Um, well, to back up just a tiny bit more, I had the hardest trouble of my whole trip getting out of the Dallas airport. <laughs> I was so stressed getting out of the Dallas airport that I think by the time I landed in Iraq, I was just grateful to have finally arrived. Okay. <laughs> um, and we actually flew into Erbil in Kurdistan. The, the, um, and I, can't, I always get confused on what edge that is, but we were in the Kurdistan region. So honestly, it was nothing at all like I anticipated because it was quite nice uh, where we were for that first, just first couple of days as we waited for paperwork to come through, um, getting everything settled. Um, so it was very different than I anticipated. And when we actually drove out to, so this was within maybe five, six days, drove out to the region, the Sinjar district, where I would be working, that's when reality hit. And I told them even then, it's like, it's almost like I'm going through a second jet lag because there's such an emotional disconnect between where I was at home to Erbil and Kurdistan to now finally landing in the heart of Iraq. Wow. Um, and that's where we hit the poverty and just the, um, what you would imagine, I think, when you, when you mm -hmm. think of Iraq. 
So when you, you, you were actually working with some refugees too, were you not as well in some of this? So yes, uh, in a sense, because we were, we were right in the area that the, with the ISIS came sweeping through. So um, we were right on the edge of Sinjar Mountain, which is where a huge number of the Yazidi people fled into Sinjar Mountain when ISIS came through. Um, and they were stuck. They were, they were um, barricaded in Sinjar Mountain with no food, no water, no shelter incredible, incredible heat. I mean, it was 106 when I was there in May. And this oh happened in August of 2016. So that much hotter um, than 106 already. No shelter, no food, no water. Um, so going back to your question of refugees, they were fleeing. They were refugees at that point. Um, and while I was there in May, there, there are actually a lot of those people still in Sindar Mountain who had fled and have never been able to really return to where they came from. Wow. Wow. Um, so it, technically they would still be um, um, technically refugee status, yeah. although they, a lot of them have made Sindar mm -hmm. Mountain kind of their new home. What was maybe one of the most heartbreaking things you discovered when you got there? Maybe even something you weren't quite prepared for. Um, I think for me, one of the hardest things was, so I work with survivors of torture um, in my, my regular day job here in Michigan. Um, a lot of them come from um, um, the Rwandan genocide. That is a huge portion of my clients are from the Rwandan genocide, um, the Congo. And uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with that, but the difference was being in Iraq, sitting on top of Sindar Mountain, working with people who had fled ISIS and knowing that these people aren't safe. So in Michigan, my clients from the Rwandan genocide are in, in most senses safe. So they're nice. here in Michigan. Makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. they, don't have, they don't have the Antara Hamway still hunting them here in Michigan, but they're sitting in the middle of Iraq um, and I think I was aware of this going in, but it still hit me incredibly hard to be sitting there and realizing I can do as much mental health work as I can. I can address this trauma as much as I can. I can pray with them, mm -hmm. which is all needed and necessary and good. But at the end of the day, they still sit there terrified because ISIS really could come back. And they, that's what some of them really do obviously fear. Um, one girl specifically, I can't remember how old she would be. She was maybe early 20s. Um, she had been an ISIS survivor. She was sitting in her tent on the top of the mountain and we just sat with her as she wept, telling us how she heard a rumor that ISIS was coming back. Hmm. Now we hadn't heard that. The group, the team that lives and works right there that I was working with, they hadn't heard that. But we can't say ISIS isn't coming back. And so to just right. sit there and the utter heartbreak, heartbreak and fear that she was experiencing was a, was a very different setting than I'm used to here, even with what I do. Yeah. How well were you received and accepted? Did, did they look at you like somebody who couldn't even begin to identify with them? Or were they truly open to what you were trying to do there and administering to them? 
So one thing I think to clarify, my position was helping um, develop the mental health program within the Samaritan's office. So that was, was my role. Now I travel out to do home visits with the local Samaritan's Purse mental health team almost every day, a couple visits a day. Um, but when I went out, I was letting the local team do all the mental health work. Okay. Um, and that team was respected and received well because they've been there for a while. And specifically the one older clinician that I was most of the time working alongside. She's been working in Iraq with the Yazidi people for years. Um, she's uh, from Australia, but she has been there for years walking alongside them in this. So she seeing that connection and seeing how much they respected her and um, receive how well they received her was really special. Um, so that's that's kind of how that would differ. I was received very well in in my role, but it was right. a little different mm -hmm. right within the Samaritan's Purse office. Yeah. You know, I I did check in on you a couple times, a few times while you were there. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I prayed for you because mm -hmm. I know there were times you were not that far from danger and some of those mm -hmm. trips you were on, mm -hmm. you know, getting to where you needed to go and then getting back. What as you came back, what changed for you or in you? Was there anything that said that you kind of like, since being on this trip, I'm never going to be the same fill in the blank. Was there, was there anything like that in this trip for you that was almost like life changing or a paradigm shift in the way you saw things? Um, you know, I, I don't think specifically, I would say that there was just because I've been immersed in this type of work, um, in different ways for so long that I feel like there was not much that really surprised me. There wasn't much that, um, shocked me, um, that would kind of cause some of that, except I think going back to sitting in that space with them was a very different feel for me that I hadn't done before. Um, and I guess if anything, it just really, it really took me back to that reality that so many people face that I know, and then I work with every day, mm -hmm. but it's different when you yourself are experiencing it, right? So sitting yeah, there on the top right. of that mountain myself, um, it was a very different feel. Um, so I think, I think on this trip, that was the biggest thing for me. And, but also, to be honest, I've been back one month. Um, I've had a lot of personal stuff going on in this one month. I have little kids that are adjusting. And I honestly feel like I am still adjusting. I'm still um, in my own mind and heart trying to process through everything sure, um, sure. that I experienced there. So It's such a different world, isn't it? I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. I haven't been where you've been, but I've been to mission fields and third world countries. Mm -hmm. Unless you've experienced it, it's hard to understand. And you don't just come back and flip a switch. You, it mm -hmm. really does impact you and, and it does take a while to process and even mm -hmm. adjust to the life that you lived before you went on the trip, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. do you have, as you watch these people work and at the workers that you went out with and some mm -hmm. of them, um, outside of the story of the lady, the young girl on the mountain, was there, was there any other interaction or story that just really helped you to, to see the value of what was going on and taking place with these, with this ministry? 
Oh goodness, I know there is, but there were so many. <laughs> um, I think another one that stood out to me, and I don't know if this will exactly answer your question, but another one that stood out to me, um, we went into a home to do a, an assessment with a lady. And as we were there, we, we kind of began thinking maybe this is like a postpartum depression type situation, which I can't even imagine what that would be like having a newborn going through the normal hormonal physical changes, but then having nothing. I mean, nothing. They have a cement room and they have maybe a couple cushions to sit on, but they don't, they don't have, um, but anyways, you, you understand yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. I can't understand what that would be like, but we sat there and did an assessment with her. But as we're talking, one of the questions that the clinician always asked was um, if they were a survivor. Survivor could be for male, could be for female. Um, are you a survivor of ISIS in some way? And this lady said yes. And at the same time, she had a couple other family members come in um, because that, that often culturally that's what happens is they see some guests. And so they all just kind of flood in and hang out while the appointment's taking place. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a couple of their family members come in, a couple of their sisters, and they were, as we were going through, they're like, oh yeah, we're survivors too. We're all survivors. And so I'm sitting in a room where at one point it's, um, you know, this middle-aged woman who we think is maybe like a postpartum depression. And all of a sudden we have, well, she's a survivor. And then we find out we're surrounded by ISIS survivors. And so it that was another moment where you're like, how is this reality? <laughs> wow, <laughs> because you know be, it yeah. is. Um, but when you're sitting there and it goes from, oh, we have a survivor here to, oh, we're surrounded by survivors. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, sh it kind of brought to my heart and mind again how important it was what they were doing because not only are these people facing the everyday struggles of that harsh, harsh region, poverty, uh, rampant abuse, uh, suicide, mental health, but they're also a huge majority of them facing life as a survivor um, coming out of, of ISIS captivity. So um, what they're doing there is incredibly needed work. All right. Um, in many, many ways, but that's one that stood out. Yeah. And, and a lot of those survivors, when they say they're a survivor, they also are implying they they have family members and loved ones that didn't survive friends and people so, that, that didn't. Yeah. So almost everyone I would say had a friend or a family member or a community member that they knew that didn't survive. Um, I, I don't, not everyone said that, but from the stories we gathered, mm -hmm. it was so rampant. Um, but I, I definitely do know several other cases where their family members are still being held by ISIS. Um, mm -hmm. As we were talking to them, um, the families were still being held um, wow. at that time. It's hard for us here in America. You know, we, we think we've got our problems and we, and we do have problems here. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who have some very, very deep problems. But I would suppose when you go to a place like that and see a, a war-torn country, filled mm -hmm. with people who are survivors it, it really does make you realize how good and blessed we are in so many ways mm -hmm. in this country because yeah. like you said even those who you minister work with here who are survivors at least thankfully now they've reached a place of safety mm -hmm. and for those people yeah yeah you know and what i think 
one thing I think that always comes to mind though, I, I guess the longer I do this work and the more I've been like when I was in Africa in 2019 and, and again, just in Iraq in May um, and in my trauma work, is it realizing the reality of our minds don't know the difference between the stress of ISIS coming in and kidnapping us and the stress of some of my clients who sit in my room here and my office here, and they still have family running from Nantara Hamwe in Rwanda or the Congo. Our minds can't, they can't decipher that stress. Our minds are just stressed. So our mind and our body is still experiencing that. Um, and even when it comes to, um, I have a friend who lost a, a very young toddler son um, here in Michigan and just, when you, you can't compare all these traumas, mm -hmm. but I think I've, I'm learning grace for everyone's trauma is still trauma. It's yes. still very big. Yes. Yes. Um, it is hard to, it's hard to come back from Iraq and see some of the petty complaints that even my, I myself have. <laughs> um, it helps me uh, rethink right. those. Um, but yeah, stress and trauma are the worldwide, and, and yes. we all are facing such incredibly different, um, different things. It's yeah, it's it's a big conversation. And, uh, that and I'd love to have that maybe somewhere down the road we can talk yeah. a little more more about that whole issue of stress and trauma. Mm -hmm. But as we kind of wrap things up here today, mm -hmm. I told you I was going to ask you at the end of the podcast, toward the end, a little bit about you know there is no doubt in because I know it's already been happening. People are listening to this podcast because that word hope stands out to them. Mm -hmm. They want to find hope. And yet they're facing trauma, maybe even abuse or torture, but at least a lot of trauma in, in, in their life. What would you say to that person or what would be the beginning of a path towards hope that maybe you would encourage them to take a step or two in the right direction. What would those steps be? Um, I think there'd be a couple of things I would say first and then a couple steps, but okay. I think it sounds very, very basic, <laughs> but hear me out when I say mm -hmm. it takes time. It takes lots of time. Yes. yes. It's going to take time to heal. You have to be patient and you have to give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. Um, those things, if we can get our minds wrapped around that, I think it it will help us so much more than we realize because we look at that and we say, that's pointless. You don't know what I've been through. Um, but these these steps right here, taking, acknowledging it takes time, being patient, giving yourself grace, giving other people grace will give get you a long ways. Aside from that, reaching out for some professional help and if you aren't to that point yet, reaching out to somebody you can trust, just a friend that you can trust, somebody you can say, hey, I've got a couple of things I just really need to talk through. Um, somebody who you know is going to keep your story in confidence, who is going to protect you with you and your story. Um, but when you get to the point that you can reach out for some professional help, it's extremely, uh, it's a place of vulnerability. I know it's uncomfortable, but sitting down across from a therapist and just unloading some of that pain and trauma um, can help immensely. 
Um, and one other thing I, I always like to mention is that I know when you go to therapy, there's almost like this hangover you get from therapy. <laughs> it's very, it's very hard. You go to therapy, it's hard, it's vulnerable, it's painful. You might feel like you have a hangover for a couple of days, but you gradually will start to see progress and healing, um, uh, that it is helpful over time. You just have to, yes. to give it a chance. Yeah. Emily, that is, that is so good. What you said is all that you just said right there is just so helpful. Um, because I've been, many of us have been to counseling for some period mm -hmm. of time for whatever reason. And boy, just that I, I know what it's like to leave there and feel like, I don't know if this really helped me or not. Cause now I feel worse <laughs> than I did when I went, walked in, but give it time. And you realize, yeah, it, yeah that was helpful. That was, yeah. so that's yeah. Well, Emily, uh, yeah. I know people probably would love to, to ask you some questions maybe sometime or maybe reach out to you and they can find you on LinkedIn, correct? Mm -hmm. So if, yep. that would be a great place for them to try to connect with you. And so that would be wonderful if anybody would kind of like to know a little bit more about mm -hmm. who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, for um, sure. Is there anything you would like to say before I close the podcast in particular to our listeners? It's... I think this Iraq experience was a huge, it's a huge story. So I always feel like when I share on it, I'm missing huge chunks of information, but um, I'm just thankful that God uh, gave me the opportunity and yes. hopefully used me in some way. Um, but yes, if people have questions and, and we come in contact, feel free okay. to, I hope they feel free to, to ask those questions and That's great. learn a little bit more about it. Well, Emily, I'm sure you were used by God. I'm sure you were a blessing. Uh, that's just who you are. So mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you were. So thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Hope Along the Journey podcast. And once again, I remind you that above all things, look to Jesus Christ. He is truly the hope of the world. If you look to him, he will help you to find hope along life's journey. God bless you and thank you today for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and would like to know more, follow us on Facebook at Hope Along the Journey or send us an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we hope you join us again for more hope along the journey.